Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning, Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you this morning. We are taking your calls at 801 575 8255. You can also text us your questions 57500. Our next listener, Ton, is planning on overseeding their lawn uh, with clover. They're going to actually use clover, and they would like to know if you have any tips. Well, if they're doing a clover Kentucky bluegrass mix, that's great. And they may have to do it spring and fall for two or three years to really get it established in there. But as the clover flowers, it provides habitat for not only honeybees, but other pollinators. And so I think that's great. And if they're trying to just go with a straight clover lawn, they can, but... The When people say that clover is drought hardy, it is, but it's in a different way than our lawn. And so it may go longer without water, but if it goes without water for too long, it dies to where Kentucky bluegrass will just go dormant. And as long as it's getting about an inch of water a month, it will overwinter and go into the next spring just fine, being dormant the previous summer. And so I people are all excited about these clover lawns and they're just not well researched in Utah. And I'm just really cautious about them. But a mix is okay. Yeah. Mix is great. All right. For those folks who just want to overseed period this uh, spring, what would be your suggestions for them? Well, maybe they're just doing bluegrass seed. Well, it's the same principle sometime in late March to early April, put the seed down and just top dress it at probably one to two pounds per thousand square feet into the existing lawn and some of it will come up, some of it will not. But if they will do that in the spring and then again, sometime in mid to late August over two or three years, they can thicken up a lawn, but they also need to ask themselves, why is my lawn thin? Because it'll thicken it up temporarily, but within two or three years, it will be thin again because the grass is struggling. And so the top dressing can be a good thing, but if the lawn is struggling, they also need to figure out why it's struggling. Okay. Uh, Lyman is in Midwa- is in Midway. Good morning. What is your question? Are you there, Lyman? Okay, let's go to our next texter. Uh, they said they've had some trouble with puncture vine. Uh, they've been pulling it out, but some seeds still get in their house. Is there anything more they can do to get rid of it? Well, the seeds are there either way. You either have to cover the soil or crowd the seeds out so they can't germinate. 
Okay. So we'll finish up with this puncture vine and then go to Lyman. I think he's back. But what I would recommend doing is figuring out something to do with the space. Kentucky bluegrass, when it is grown well, is very competitive against puncture vine. It chokes puncture vine, puncture vine out. But if it's just a bare soil area, there's really not much they can do. And so that's why I recommend putting mulch over the top of it or planting something like a thick ground cover or grass. So you say the seeds are going to just be there. They are, but if you can cover the seeds up, 90% of them will be dead and won't germinate within three or four years, but there's 5 or 6% that can last for up to 50 years in the soil. Oh. And so you can do a lot to get rid of them, but all of a sudden, three years after the fact, you'll have a few germinate, and then you have to go out and get on top of them. Okay, let's go back to Lyman in Midway. Good morning, Lyman. What is your question? Morning. Um, I usually prune my apple trees in February, but uh, we still have about four feet of snow on the ground in my backyard, and I'm wondering if I should, you know, push that back a ways or, or if it makes any difference. Mid to late February is the time, but with you being in Midway, You've got a couple of weeks there because mid, mid-February mid is the Wasatch Front recommendation. And for the mountain valleys, I usually recommend pushing that back to early March because you're colder than the Wasatch Front. And then on your if you have any hardy stone fruits like hardy peaches or apricots, then I would push that to late March to early April. Okay. That's what I need to know. Thank right. you very much. Thanks for your call today, Lyman. Uh, next listener, Ton, says they're finishing their basement and putting in raised beds in the spring. And the reason those two things go together is they want to know if they can use the scrap sheetrock as fill for the base of the raised beds. Absolutely not. That is calcium carbonate plus chemicals, and it would cause all sorts of problems. That needs to go to the landfill, unfortunately. Outright I'm glad, no. Outright no. I... <laughs> That would be, well, I'm just, I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, and I'm not criticizing, but if somebody did that, I would make them stand in the corner. Yeah, that would be really bad for them. Yeah, it's that, that sheetrock is just full of junk that you don't want to contaminate your soil with. Uh, next person would like to know if uh, using creeping thyme is something that would be possible instead of a lawn? Or what do you think about using creeping time instead of lawn? As long as you're not walking on it, it's fine. And you need to manage your irrigation. You know, but if you have kids or grandkids trying to play soccer or catch, it will quickly get trampled out. And so it's one of those things that it does make a suitable ground cover, but it tolerates only minimal traffic. And so I've seen like marketing companies, marketing ground covers as walkable or steppable. And what that means is, is if you need to walk to the middle to pull a weed out, you can do that. But if you try to walk on it like you would grass, you'll kill it. So my stone patio, I've uh, planted things in between the stones and in the areas where no one walks, the time does really great. It does. <laughs> Looks really pretty, but um, in the other spots, it's bare. It is because it won't tolerate the foot traffic. So you need to be aware. And when you see things like that, there's nothing that tolerates foot traffic like grass. And there's other plants like the yarrow lawns are becoming more popular. 
And Yarrow tolerates quite a bit of foot traffic, but the texture is a little bit different than a lawn. You can mow it and things. But the jury sell out on Yarrow lawns, like we talked about Clover earlier. But we had Liz Braithwaite on a couple of years ago talking about her Yarrow lawn. I think I want to try to get somebody from Jordan Valley Water Conservation District because they've been testing Yarrow as a lawn alternative and get their take on it. But, uh, yeah, it's you've got to, especially things like time, you have to just be aware that, yes, it will function, but you cannot walk on it. It's all about, first of all, deciding how you're going to use those areas of your yard. And they're, they're going to be, for people with families, areas where you probably want some grass. Yes, and so I would consider, I hear rumblings that a lot of plant scientists, the turf scientists, are going to start pushing that newer varieties of Bermuda grass be allowed to be grown because they're not nearly as aggressive as some of the older ones. Hmm. And those, you know, like as with buffalo grass, will give you a good lawn for about three to four months out of the year, and then they go brown, but they would give you a lawn all summer. And so those might be something that in the next 10 years we start seeing become more available. Uh, back to our phone lines. Pam is on the line in Cottonwood Heights. Good morning, Pam. What is your question? Good morning. Um, I ordered some fruit trees in, in last fall. Um, anyway, they have arrived about a month early, and it, the ground is frozen, and I'm not sure what I'll be able to do with them. The first thing I would do is call the company that shipped them to you and make them aware that they're not supposed to be planted for another month to six weeks. And if what you can do is maybe get them on record as saying if they die, they will replace them. And just say, I don't necessarily want to ship them back to you, but you ship them way early. And if they committed to ship them at a point you could plant them, it's not it. And so I would take care of that, and then it's okay for you to store them. And if you have, like, an unheated shed to where it won't get below freezing but it stays below 40, you could probably put them in there. You may need to check them once in a while and make sure that the packing around the roots stays wet or at least moist. So you may have to unwrap them every couple of weeks and put you know, two or three cups worth of water in the sawdust or wet newspaper or whatever until you are ready to plant. But I would call the company and just say, hey, you know, you ship these and they're not plantable and I won't ship them back, but I want in writing or a guarantee that you'll replace them if they die. Okay. Um, Should I even attempt to try to put them in the ground? I, you can and see what happens, but personally, if you have a way to do it, I would try to store them for at least another month. Right. I have an, unsheet, uh, an unheated shed, but I'm not sure with temperatures we've been having if it'll keep them the proper temperature. The more important part to keep from freezing are the roots, and so if you could store them and somehow get some old shipping blankets or something to insulate those roots, they would probably be okay. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your help. 
All right, Pam, good luck to you on that. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break, come back with more of your calls and questions. Phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse Show. Maria and Ton with you this morning. Phone lines are open 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Next listener, Ton, would like to know if their grass seed is going to be okay after it's been outside in a storage shed all winter. It will be perfectly fine as long as it's kept dry. Seeds actually will tolerate quite cold temperatures. And, you know, when you hear about seed banks, you know, there's one up in the Arctic and the Scandinavian countries. And these seeds are frozen and kept at really low humidity to preserve them. Mm -hmm. And so the grass seed should be great. Uh, What do you recommend for getting rid of and preventing goat heads? Grow something. That's the way. just like that dry dirt. Yeah, they are actually very wimpy plants when they have competition. And they only thrive in areas where the soil's disturbed and there's not a lot of plant cover. Then they are able to thrive. And so if you have two or three inches of mulch over the top of, it, of the soil or turf grass or some sort of ground cover, they will not compete against that once the turf and ground covers are established. So there's, but if you have wide open fields that only get rainwater and snow, the goat heads or puncture vine is what we call it with anyway, it goes by both names. Same uh, thing. Same thing. It just thrives in those kinds of situations because it's droughted. It's adaptation to drought is a waxy leaf and a really deep tap root. Oh, all right. Next person says they have an eight year old burr oak that's about 11 feet tall. They want to get a maple, but they want to know how far away from that oak they should plant it. Burr oak is going to get 50 feet high and wide. So they need to plant a maple probably at least 30 feet away. They can grow into each other a bit, but to keep both of the trees healthy with sufficient canopy, if they're doing a full-size maple, something like State Street or the uh, what we would call sycamore maple, which is really a maple not sycamore, there's a species, those will need some space, and so minimally 30 feet apart. All right, next person has a small patio on the south side of their townhouse, and it's surrounded by a white vinyl fence. Uh, They want to plant herbs and some vegetables and flowers near the fence, but they say it often gets to about 120 degrees. They have a thermometer in their planter box there, and they're wondering what you would recommend that they plant. Well, many of our herbs are very drought and heat tolerant. So salvias are, and then we just talked about the rosemary. That would be a perfect spot for rosemary. The They're not used often as an herb, although you can use them. We've talked about hummingbird mint, the agastaches. Sometimes they're called, uh, 
what's the other name, but bubble gum. There are several varieties that are native to the Southwest that love heat. Some of the other ones, basil may go okay there because it loves to be warmer. Uh, there's lots you could do there. What about vegetables? Vegetables, you may, if it gets to 120. That's hot. I would get some shade cloth, uh, 20 to 30% shade, and just build a, build a simple structure to fit over the vegetables. And even the herbs would tolerate it and just pull that shade cloth over, and I think they would be just fine. Mm, flowers that tolerate that type of heat? Well, the the uh, ones I mentioned oh, those previously, flowers. the hummingbird mints oh, would okay. tolerate right, right, right. the heat, but there are many more. Gallardias love heat. The um, humming or whirling butterfly, or that one is called Gara, is another one that's quite heat tolerant. Black-eyed Susans, purple coneflowers. There's a whole host of things that actually will tolerate quite a bit of heat. All right. Uh, they're just going to have to decide how to plant those. They're not going to yes. be able to intermix them with that shade cloth, right? Well, the shade, they would actually do okay under the shade cloth. Okay. The reason being is we have excessive solar radiation here. And because we're higher elevation, the atmosphere is a bit thinner. We That excess solaration, you shade some of that out with shade cloth. But plants that need full sun do just fine under it. And so I don't know that I would want everything under that shade cloth, but if they had to, you know, that would be one thing they could do. But the other thing they might consider is half of it into flowers, half into vegetable garden. That would look a little bit, you know, disjunct, I guess would be the word, but that would be something they could do is have a vegetable and herb area and then a flower area. Okay. Uh, Bob in Centerville would like to know, he has an Italian plum tree, but he wants to know how to treat it to get plums. It sounds like he's not getting any fruit on his tree. Well, it's generally at least semi-self-fruitful, and there could be a lot of reasons it didn't get fruit on it. But if it's not getting any, I would get another Italian or another European plum, not Italian. So I would get Stanley or improved French prune, or he could go with some of the non-prune types like Green Gage, mm-hmm. which is just an edible one. And I really like Green Gage. You can turn it into fruit leather or jams and things. I We haven't talked about plums in a while, European plums, and there's two general classes of European plum. There's the prune types that are really sugary and lower in water so that they don't rot. And then you have the fresh ones that you would eat right off the tree. And those are slightly less sweet, but they're, they have more moisture in mm-hmm. them. And so those you can use for jams, jellies, syrups. You know, there's a lot of wonderful recipes with plum in them for pork and just even chicken and things. But the prunes are meant to be dehydrated or dried down and preserved. And they're kind of, you know, people like them, but they're nature's ex lax. Right. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, we don't often talk about plums. We don't. And they've kind of fallen out of favor with younger generations. They, when you go to a garden center, the trees that sell are peaches and then a few apples, and then everything else. And you will find younger generations planting them, and I think a lot of it is the lack of land. 
and they have to make decisions and peaches are just more popular. And if they have more land, they'll probably tuck in some European or Japanese plums. But the pecking order is always peaches first mm-hmm. and then maybe something like a uh, pink lady or honeycrisp apple. And then, you know, there's nectarines and apricots and plums seem to be just the bottom of the list. Yeah. Is there anything that would cause plums not to produce as much as other heat. fruit trees? Yeah, heat oh. would do it and a lack of consistent irrigation. The orchards are watering all their fruit trees about every 7 to 10 days to a depth of at least 18 inches. And so I've had lots of calls, especially on peaches and nectarines, that got about an inch wide and never ripened or fell off the tree and it was a lack of water all right we need to take a break for the top of the hour news number to call with your questions 801-575-8255 you can also text us this morning 57500 two years ago americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport there's desperation and anguish more than eighty thousand afghans have since arrived in america but this story is still unfolding I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.